So we're in the middle of a sermon series that we're looking at the parables of Jesus. And I'm kind of going off script here a little bit today. And I'm going to Luke 15. Uh, I had a leading on Monday to change. And so we're going to be in Luke 15. Thank God for Luke 15. All of us should be saying that because Luke 15 is a great chapter of the Bible where Jesus tells different stories to show us what God is like. Living in the kingdom of God, that sounds like good words, like living under the control of the kingdom of God because Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. What does it look like for us to live under the control of God in God's kingdom? especially in this day and age. And so he shows us, and every time he tells one of these parables, he is showing us and painting a picture of what God is like so that we would understand the kingdom of God. And he gives these earthly stories with heavenly meaning so that we would be able to understand. So we're gonna start in verse 11 and we're gonna read a familiar story that most of us know called the prodigal son. Now, some of you might be here today and you have lost your joy. You might be struggling today because you, uh, you've wandered away. Maybe you feel far from God. Maybe it is that you've given your life to Christ many years ago and today you feel far from God. One of the most common things that happened to me as a, uh, as a youth pastor, and when I was with student ministry, as many students would come to me and they would say, Johnny, I just don't feel the way I used to feel. I, I, I feel like I'm, I, I feel far from God. And so when you feel that way, sometimes it's kind of hard to know the way back. So that's what I wanna talk to you about. How, what's the roadmap to getting back to God? How do you get back to God? What's, what's my way? Because we know that the further away I get from God, the more my life is more troubled. But the closer I get to God, the more my life is like transformed and more of the good things I have. And so I wanna read, start reading right there in verse 11. Jesus again is speaking. And he says, there, is a, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So a recession happens and he spent everything he has. And during this recession, he's lost everything. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So he finally, he gets a job because he spent everything. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs Eight, and no one gave him 
anything. So many people like, hey, when they tell this story, they're like, hey, man, yeah, you find yourself out eating with the pigs. He wasn't eating with the pigs. He was feeding the pigs. And he was not getting anything. Like it doesn't say he was eating with the pigs. It was saying he wasn't getting anything from anybody. His, the pigs were eating better than he was. And so what happens? But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, so he rehearses a speech, okay? He's rehearsing a speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arises, he, he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's a plot twist. And the son said to him, he finally gets to say the speech that he's rehearsed. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, by the way, he interrupts the speech. He only gets to give half the speech. That's good. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let, and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So if you want to find your way back to God, in this story, Jesus is painting a picture of us for a roadmap back to God. And the first step in the journey for this son who wants to find his way back to the father is he got sick and tired of being sick and tired. He was fed up. He had had enough. I don't know who said it first. I, you hear it different times in our culture. They, sometimes people say, when you find yourself in a hole, quit digging. Dissatisfied, maybe this morning, with the way you are. Maybe some of you are saying, I don't like what I've become. I don't like what's going on in my life. I don't like who I've become. I don't like the stress and the burdens of carrying all this. Some of you who, who have named the name of Jesus might be struggling with anger or you live in constant fear. Maybe it is your emotions rule you but I want you to know something, that the first step back is to get fed up. That's the first step. Look at verse 13, 14, and then even 17. He wasted it all. He had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry. He finally came to his senses. And God loves you, and God loves you too much to keep you the way you are. And Jesus 
stands at the door and he knocks. Lo, I stand at the door and knock. And if any person hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Jesus said that to the church in the book of Revelation. Last week, we celebrated Jesus' resurrection. What do we know about Jesus after he was raised from the dead? He walked right through doors. We also know that he rolled away the tomb. He bust out that door, too. He could have just walked through it. The resurrected Lord, he, he's, he can walk right through doors. He was amongst them. He also rolled away this big stone. He could have busted that wooden door. That's nothing. But he said, lo, I stand in the door and I knock. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. You see, each person here is made in the image of God. You have a mind, you have a will. And because you have that, you have, because you are made in the image of God, you have free will. And so Jesus stands at the door and knocks and waits for you to answer it. The first step is to get fed up, tired of it. Jeremiah 29, so many of you guys could, you could just quote Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you and a future, give you hope and a future. We all love that, don't we? But remember verse 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The message version, I like the message version. You'll find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. It's important for us to start with that first step. That is, I get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then the second thing in the story we see is that he, he owns up to his own sin. There is this sense he quits and then he admits. He says it. He becomes desperate enough. And I want to encourage you today to wake up. And I want us to have a sense of living before God that we know that the son, listen, there's some, there's some implication in this. I don't wanna get off too much on a rabbit trail, but the implication of this is the guy said, let me take this and go, give me what's mine now. Because listen, he could not stay where he was and squander it in his father's house. He couldn't live like that. He knew he had to go somewhere else. And so he wanted to go somewhere else and squander that. But while he was away from the father, he had to own up. He had to own up. I have to take ownership of my own sin. We live in an idol factory. Oh no, we don't live like in India or maybe countries that live with a more primitive polytheistic view where we have 
little idols made of stone or maybe it is that we have little uh, things made of wood and that kind of thing. But you know what? Here in America, we, we live in an idol factory. We, we're going through a book as a staff called uh, Counterfeit Gods. I got that right, sorry. We just started about three weeks ago. Is that right? Counterfeit Gods, yes. And um, it's really good so far. And one of the things that uh, Keller writes about is that he is showing us that we live in a country that's an idol factory. And you might ask, well, what is, what is idolatry? What is it? And he says, it's anything that you love more than God. There are so many things in our culture that are vying for our attention, our hearts and our passions. You know, the, the, our thinking, so many things want our attention. It's what other people think, it's on social media, it's, it's power, it's money, it's all the things that are constantly tempting us. And so we see in this story in verses 17 and 18, when he came to his senses, he said, I have sinned against God and you, he said it. You see, even he knew that living without God doesn't make sense. And so he came to his senses. Isaiah chapter 59, verse two, your sins have separated you from your God and have hidden his face from you. David, when David had sinned against God, he had had an adulterous affair with someone. She was pregnant, had her husband killed, and then admitted before God what he had done and confessed it. Here's his prayer. Be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant or steadfast love, because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins, wash away all my evil and make me clean. I recognize my faults and I am conscious that I have sinned against you. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, the Lord says, no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. And that's why we celebrate in this season the cross of Christ because of the great price that was paid on the cross. That's why we talk about Jesus so much because he is the one who took away our sins. He gives us eternal life because he was raised from the dead because he has victory over death in the grave. He also paid for our sins. And so we wanna make sure that we understand that God can take our sins away because we live Isaiah 650 years prior to Christ. This is the promise that's fulfilled in Jesus, the Lamb of God. We are living in a day where that provision has been made fully and completely. That's why we make a big deal. That's why we worship the Lord because we know that Jesus makes our sins as white as snow, but you gotta own up to it. That's your way back to God. You gotta own up. And I would encourage you in your life to take a look in the mirror. You know, we Christians, we're really good at looking out the window and seeing how bad things are in the world. We love to give commentary. We're around other people. We love to talk about it. 
We love talking about what's going on in the news, and we give our little commentary about it. We look at other people and go, oh, boy, look how bad they are. That makes us feel better because they're worse than we are. But you know what? It's important that we be a people that look in the mirror as much as we look out the window. Because you see, the brokenness of the world is also our story. I, I want to encourage you today to be a person that does a checkup and to, to nip it. I'm going to go Barney Fife on everybody. Nip it, nip it, nip it. Y'all below 35, 40 years old don't even know what that is. The Andy Griffith Show, one of the greatest shows ever created. I want to tell you. Have I got a witness in the congregation? Ain't got no witnesses, that's okay. I'm talking to myself this morning. <laughs> but you need to do a spiritual checkup and you might say, what is it? What is it that you check up? I'm gonna give you five things that, uh, that you ought to be looking, that you can look at and say, how am I doing, Lord, in these areas of my life? Because this is what you were created for. And those five areas, the first one is worship. All of us were created. Some of you are like, oh, well, you know what? I do two out of the five. That's what I do. Uh-uh. Everybody here, like you might say, well, Johnny, that's your list. You're a pastor. No, 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 no. This is everybody here's list. Everybody's. The first one's worship. You were created in the image of God to glorify God in your life. That's what you were born for. The third one you see is discipleship. Are you growing? Are you growing in the Lord? The fourth thing on the list you see is ministry. Do you have an identifiable ministry? Are you making a mark? Are you leaving a mark? It's about this time right now where you say, you know, by the way, last week we had the largest Sunday we've ever had in the history of our church. 645, 1,645, 1,645 people showed up last week at church, which is awesome. We're growing. We, we have a lot of children. There's a bunch of stuff happening on the other side of the building right now. We need folks to minister to those children. Maybe you're new here and you're not connected. You could be a part of that. You could do something in a kid's life that will literally change their life and be a part of what God's doing. Also, grace ministry. We have a bunch of kids that are coming that have special needs in different, with different places on the spectrum. And we need folks to serve those kids. Maybe you're here, you're wired for that kind of thing. I would encourage you to be a part of that. Do you have an identifiable ministry? Now, I left out the second one because most people in this day and age in Christianity are all kind of like, yeah, I can be discipled because like, I can do that online. I'll just start listening to podcasts and I'll go to little classes where I just sit and listen and nobody knows who I am or anything. But Bob Yaberg asked me this question many years ago. He said, Johnny, do you have six people that can carry your casket? Kind of a cold question, a little old school. But that's True, especially for us men, do we have six close friends that we fellowship with? You see, that's what we're created. We're better together. You know, this whole thing of like we live, we don't, we don't even, know, do we know how to conversate with each other or do we just know how to do this? I encourage you to have fellowship. And also you were not created because we're better together to have fellowship, but also evangelism. You are the person that God has called to speak into some people that I will never meet. 
and God can use you. That's what you were created for. Those things aren't there. Do a spiritual checkup. I don't know what that looks like for you. Do a scale of one to 10. Grade yourself in each one of them. I don't care. Give yourself A, B, C, D. I don't care. I would encourage you to look in the mirror and see how you're doing. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I would encourage you to to nip it in the bud and to own it, but also think about that. Here's Here's the third thing in the roadmap back is I need to quit, I need to admit, I need to commit. I offer up myself. This is what the son did. I offer God my life. I offer my life up to God. Look here. If you want to know what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God and to get back close to God, look at what happens in verse 12. He says, the son drifted away saying this, give me my share. That's self-centered living. And I got what I want. Give me my share. Verse 19, he says, after returning to the father, make me a servant. That's God-centered living, isn't it? Make me a servant. I want to encourage you. It takes time. It takes time, and we've talked about that as we walk with God, to develop that relationship. And it takes time over a period of months to grow in the Lord. But listen, the decision starts it. The longest journey ever taken begins with the first step. And I hope today that you would be encouraged that wherever you are, that you would begin that journey, that you would offer up yourself to God. Look at Romans 12, verses one and two, my Christian education. How do you grow in the Lord? How do you grow? How do you get close to God? Because God is merciful to you, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So offer yourselves. Offer yourself to God and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is translated, it's Greek, is metamorpho. Metamorpho. What does that sound like? Metamorphosis. We know what metamorphosis is. Egg to a caterpillar. It's a worm eating everything. And then all at once, there's this transition into a pupa, or I think you say chrysalis. There's this stage where there is a chrysalis, ain't nothing going on, and then boom, out of that, this butterfly emerges. That's the metamorphosis. From a lowly worm to the pupa, all the way through to this butterfly that emerges. And he says, you do not be conformed to this world, but be metamorpho by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed, be transformed. 
And so filled with love and compassion, we see the Father's response. We see the Father filled with love and compassion. He ran out to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And, and he said, bring the best. The, song, the, the, the story is called The Prodigal Son. And I, I wanna be bold enough and blunt enough that I don't wanna play with the Bible, but you know how in the Bible they give these translations and then at the top of that little story, it'll say the prodigal son. That's what it'll say on it. And I, I'm good, I'm good with that because we are learning how, what the son did to get close to God. What did he do? But the story is really about the waiting father. That's what this story is about. It's about a waiting father. The son, he went and squandered everything. And while he was far away down the road, down the dusty path, way off in the distance, way down there, the father sees him. And if it had been left for us, we would have been like, boy, this is gonna be awkward. Look who's back. Well, boy, everybody get all nervous around the house and be like, oh boy, this is gonna get rich right now. We'd all be like, oh boy, there's gonna be a fight up in here. He doesn't, he doesn't even tell anybody else. The waiting father just goes and he runs. And he hugs him and he kisses him. You see, that's the good life. We think the good life is <laughs> looking good, feeling good, having the goods. That's the good life. But the son, after coming to his senses, and he got tired of being sick and tired, he practices his speech, and then he comes back, and the waiting father comes, comes running for him, Here's what we do. We lift up praise. We hug and kiss the Father. I will celebrate by praising the Lord because he is good. Because I realize what God's done for me. We're gonna celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party begins. That's why when we come together, we worship. We worship because while we were way down the road, and I mean down the road, when none of us knew what we were doing, we just knew we were trying to make our way towards God a little bit. Some of you just barely came to church today. There are marks in the parking lot because somebody drug you from your car in here and possibly. But you said, okay, I'll go. While we were way off, the waiting father comes. And so we offer ourselves to him. I will celebrate by praising the Lord because he is good. Psalm 68 verse four says, sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him. His name is the Lord. 
Psalm 13, verse six says, I will sing to the Lord because he has been so good to me. That's our psalm right there, isn't it? Let's all just read that together, can we? I will sing to the Lord because he has been so good to me. That is, that's our story. The father came running. And so that's why we make a big deal out of Jesus because he has been so good to us. I'm gonna say something to you that nobody is brave enough to say to me when I was young. I grew up playing sports. I grew up with the stigma of singing. All right, let's all be honest about it. In here sometimes, especially guys, we are like, oh man, that singing's not my thing. Singing's not my thing. That's for choir people. I don't do that. I don't, I'm not in the choir for a reason. I can't sing. I, can't, I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. That's what you're saying. I gotta tell you something. When Jesus was coming in to the, on Palm Sunday and he came in and people were like, Hosanna, blessed is he as comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. The Pharisees were like, hey, 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 yo, 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 yo. Keep that down. Be quiet. Why are you getting all worked up about that? Jesus says, if they are quiet, these very stones will start crying out. And I encourage you today, start singing in church. Praise the Lord. Be thankful because we have a waiting father. Because we have lived in a day that we have seen the fulfillment of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so we trust him in our lives. Now, it's at this point in the sermon, and I'm a little bit over, all right? I know that, so be patient with me because this is the part that God might wanna do something in your life for you. Everybody here has got a different story. Every person here is different. I'm gonna ask Elijah to come on up. You and Holly, come on up. It's about this time in the service when I come to the end of my sermon. I've been praying about this all week. I, I think about it and I plan. I know some of you don't think I plan on anything, but I do. And I, I think to myself, what do I say? What do I say to you? What am I inviting you? There's a couple of things. I can either invite you to do something or I can challenge you to do something. What's the point? Jesus said in Luke 19, 46, my house will be a house of prayer. I don't know your story and I don't know where you are. Some of you today, you're at that place where you're sick and tired and that's your starting point today. Some of you are here and you need to own up to that and confess that. There's some of you here that really do need to offer up your life to the Lord and you need to do that with God right now and we need to take the time to do that. And then there, today has been a reminder for some of you that God is really good. I know his press coverage is horrible, that people talk about God and they talk about what's going on in the world and they have a horrible discussion about who God is. I want you to tell you something. God is the waiting father. He is good in a world full of crap, a lot of confusion and division and evil. There is good news. You have a waiting father. Be thankful. Be more thankful. Father, what I cannot do, I pray you would do right now.
pray, Lord, that you would quicken our hearts for the most important things in life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to pray with somebody today, we got folks right over here at the cross that would love to pray with you. If there's a place you need to start your journey today, you just need to own up today, I'd encourage you to do that. If you wanna pray by yourself over here, Elijah and Holly are gonna lead us. Let's take a moment and do some business with God. You spend some time in prayer with the Lord. Whatever it is you need to do, you do what he's leading you to do.